Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Way In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. And I already stumbled out the gate. Normally, I like to hide the guest before I bring them on, but I'm going head to head with my guy here, AJ DeVito from MMA Experts. AJ, what's going on, brother? Dude, hanging out, man. Appreciate you uh, having me on. Looking forward to talking about this uh, UFC 265 card. I think we got some good matchups and main event at the top is getting me excited, man. I've been watching all the pre-fight stuff. I'm ready for this card. Absolutely, absolutely. I did have a couple other people scheduled for this uh, for the stream, but it did seem to fall apart last minute on me. But luckily, my guy AJ was able to save me, so I still have a guest to speak to uh, regarding this fight or this fight card. And not to mention the fact that the Wayans just wrapped up about a half an hour ago. Me and him were able to quickly skip on over there and see, you know, who looked good, who didn't look good. And obviously, we only had one weight miss that we'll talk about a little bit later in the uh, in the podcast. But man, I, I really got to give my hats off here to AJ or my turban off here to AJ in terms of uh, uh, stepping up and really taking this on the short notice. So uh, I love chopping it up with AJ. So we already have great chemistry. I'm sure you guys have already seen that from the last time we've done shows together. And uh, yeah, I'm expecting the same thing here. So once again, AJ, I really appreciate it, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you. Let's get into it, bro. All right, let's fucking go. First fight of the night, UFC 265, big pay-per-view card here. First fight of the night, we got Johnny Munoz going up against Jamie Simmons in terms of odds. We're, uh, we're now looking at even more chalk on uh, Mr. Johnny Munoz. I believe he's up to minus 310. Uh, return on Jamie Simmons is plus 255. Both guys looked decent on the scale. I'd say Johnny Munoz may be a little bit better than Jamie Simmons, but uh, it is also Jamie Simmons' first fight down uh, at 135 pounds in the UFC, so maybe that has something to do with it. But Johnny Munoz... I think he's the rightfully favored guy here. You know, obvious chalk, and it makes obvious sense because Jamie Simmons, he needs the takedowns to win fights. And more often than not, that's how you see him achieve victory unless he's going out there and starching guys on the feet. But again, I don't think he's that big of a threat on the feet. He has that wrestling style of striking, which is just, I'm going to explode forward, throw wide winging hooks. And if I land on you, great. It, even better if I'm able to knock you out. But I eventually want to take it to the ground, and that's how my... Uh, you know, that's my entry is those big shots and those big bombs. But I think that Johnny Munoz is going to be ready for that. Not to mention, I'm thinking he's going to be completely down to go to the ground in this spot, right? I think he really trusts his BJ, trusts his BJJ, as we've seen in the past. The guy's pretty much been born on the mats. Uh, I think he'll go out there, uh, you know, maybe get taken down. Maybe he'll land a takedown of his own the later that this fight goes. But I think at a certain point, he's going to eventually find that submission in this spot. I love Johnny Munoz in this spot. He was close to being my lock in the night play if there wasn't another spot that I was uh, looking at that I'll get into later in this podcast. But Johnny Munoz is definitely up there. I think he's worth the chalk. If you want to get a better line, take him inside the distance. But I think he gets it done. And the under two and a half is another good spot in this fight too. Uh, is there any, uh, are you giving more credence to Jamie Simmons than I am? Or do you think that uh, Munoz gets it done? No, I think Jamie Simmons, as you said, he's got that wrestling striking style. He's going to look for power punches. He'll look to get your back up against the cage, look for takedowns. But on the other side, you have Munoz, who's probably more well-versed grappling than him. I'm on Munoz all day. I think he could get a submission win. Also could see it go in the three. I think straight play Munoz lock, as you said, it was one of my confident picks of the week. Um, I think he could get an inside the distance play. Um, I just do have to consider dropping a weight class for Jamie Simmons could be advantageous in physical strength. Maybe he doesn't go out there and get, you know, choked out. He defends the takedown. So could be looking at three rounds, but definitely Munoz for the victory. I'm with you. They are actually picked unanimous decision, but I, I could also see submission as well. 
I like it. I like it. This is actually one of two Pure Vita products that are going to be on the uh, the card. We'll obviously talk about the second one when we get a little bit deeper into this card here, but I'm glad that we're on the same side with Johnny Munoz in the spot. All right. Next up, we got Victoria Leonardo going up against UFC debutantes. Melissa Gatto, minus 110 on either side here. Both women look great on the scales. I thought Gatto looked pretty damn good on the scales myself. Uh, looks in great shape. Looks ready to go. She's been out of competition for three years. Obviously got Popeye used out of her something as well. So she's been out of the cage for a while now. And, uh, you know, her most recent victory over Carol Hosa, very solid victory, especially concerning how good Carol Hosa has been looking inside the UFC at this point. Uh, so I'll actually let you kick this one off for us. How do you how do you feel about this matchup between these women? And how, what do you think about the line movement as well, right? Because we have Victoria. Troy Leonardo open up as a plus 130-ish underdog. Now we're getting to pick him. I wouldn't even be surprised if she's the favorite come fight time. What do you make of that? I mean, Gato's UFC experience is none, right? She had a lot of hype coming in. The win over Rosa has aged fantastically because now Rosa's, I believe, unbeaten in the UFC. Leonardo's striking is not bad by any means. Kind of basic, but uh, against girls that lack that next level, like a man on Firat who picked her apart. Like, there's levels oh, yeah. to striking, and she's she's here. Leonardo's good. She's got that nice pressure style. I like the game, but if it goes to the ground, the jiu-jitsu of Gato is something to behold off the back. You have to watch for arm bars, and arm bars is just kind of like a tricky thing that happens a lot in women's MMA. I'm on Gato here. I think Leonardo's a tough test, and I see why the line has moved. There's definitely value in, I guess, the previous underdog because now it's Pickums. But I'll go Gato submission second round. Watch out for the arms if Leonardo is on top. But it's not a fight that I'm going to throw substantial money at because Gato's unproven at the highest level. Well, at the end of the day, we can watch her on tape fighting Carol Rosa several years ago, but that's several years ago, and that's not under the big lights. So she definitely could underperform here and end up losing the fight. So for me, it's like a no-touch type of play. I was realistically betting-wise, I see why money went on Leonardo. It's more of a dog or pass. You have a girl with contender series and UFC experience, but we'll ride Gato, but not supreme confidence. Yeah, it's it's also interesting the way that she was able to get that victory over Carol Hosa, right? Like it wasn't really in an advantageous position for her. Carol Rosa was taking her down, but then unfortunately just left her arm out there to be uh, taken up. And uh, Gato, you know, being a specialist on the ground, she was able to snatch it up and get the win. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested in this matchup to see how effective Gato can truly be, right? Like she looks in great shape, but I, I think Leonardo is good enough on the ground to stay out of submissions. I think that Leonardo can stay on top and kind of grind this fight out. And then on the feet, I haven't really seen anything for Gato that is truly blown me away right it just seems like she has some leg kicks that's really about it a couple of hands a couple a couple of strikes on the feet but like mainly it seems like she just wants to chop the leg uh and not even to like a, a super effective margin right it's just chop the leg just to stay active enough on the feet and then eventually look for a takedown and then i'm okay with flopping to my back if that's what it takes to actually get my jiu-jitsu going but i think leonardo will be better on the feet i actually think that leonardo has an upside to potentially finish this fight later it goes um you know, Gato could definitely make a ton of improvements in the amount of time that she's been off, but I do think that Leonardo is the much more proven fighter at this point, and I do think that, like I said, she'll have the advantage on the feet. I think she'll be able to stay out of the submissions, and I think that with Gato just chasing the submissions and possibly chasing a takedown every single round here, it's going to gas her out, and I think that we'll see Leonardo take advantage of that, possibly TKOing her in round three. All right, let's move on to this next fight here. We got Miles Johns against Anderson Dos Santos. I'll kick this one off for us. We got minus 200 for Johns, plus 170 for Anderson Dos Santos. Obviously, this fight was supposed to go down July 17th a couple weeks ago. 
uh, Dos Santos test positive for COVID, and it looks like he didn't really have any crazy lingering issues with it, which is why he's able to jump back and uh, quickly reschedule this bout for a couple weeks later. My thoughts haven't really changed on it from the first time I broke this fight down. You know, I know Miles Johns, technically speaking, is probably the better fighter here, but I think that Dos Santos is going to be able to create some chaos in this fight, and I think it's going to push Miles Johns to some spots that he's not comfortable in, maybe forcing some sort of uh, desperation takedown where we know Anderson Dos Santos's guillotine game is just next level. That guy can definitely snatch a neck and take it on home with him. Uh, but like this could be a fight where it looks like Anderson Dos Santos is losing pretty much all of it up until the point where you know he's able to push Miles Johns later in this fight and eventually find a finish of his own. So I, I, I don't hate a play on Miles Johns. I just think the line is a little bit too wide. I want to see him go out there and prove himself a little bit more. Um, obviously coming off uh, that big knockout victory over Kevin Natividad last night or last time, even though it was in the third round, I still do believe that he's not going to be pushed, uh, or sorry, he's going to be pushed more in this fight than he was by Kevin Natividad last time around. Uh, I like Dos Santos, to be honest. I like him inside the distance. I like the sub prop. I also like the round three prop, um, but I'm not like lock of the night playing this or by any means uh, here. So I do like Dos Santos in the spot. Who do you like in the spot between Johns and Dos Santos? Uh, you know what? I'll be honest. I totally see the argument for the dog. As I was breaking this fight down, I saw a lot of factors that I like. The jiu-jitsu skill set. Because if Miles Johns shoots for a takedown, first and foremost, he's not a collegiate level wrestler. Is high school level. Granted, has adapted it fairly well for MMA, but doesn't have that same level. So... If you're fighting against a guy with elite level jujitsu, I mean, Dos Santos is a black belt. His, as you said, the guillotine is nasty. I definitely could see potential for an upset. I do believe Miles Johns has the speed edge and striking wise a bit of an advantage. If Johns fights with a high IQ game plan, which let's be honest, a lot of times when the cage door shuts, chaos ensues. And especially with a guy like Dos Santos, I'm picking Miles Johns and I'm picking him by a decision. But I am by no means saying lock it up, go throw your money at him. It's not worth it for the value, and there's more value on the dog because Dos Santos inside the distance. What's the plus money sitting at? Because that's a good, a good potential play. Because I think he could get a knockout or a submission potentially because he's got some power in those hooks as well. Dos Santos inside the distance plus four seventy five. I bad think the line there. If you're value betting. Sometimes, even if you're kind of seeing a potential for the other guy to win, maybe you sprinkle that down because 475 is great value at that one. I don't even mind the under two and a half at plus 160, considering we could also take into consideration that Miles Johns could start him too, right? He has some yeah. power in his hands, explosive, much faster, right? He could find that bomb. Um, all right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Manel Cap versus Ode Osborne. This is the second Pure Vita product that I'm talking about here with Ode Osborne churning up there with Zach Otto and those guys up in Milwaukee. But Manel Cap. The only weight miss on the card comes in uh, right pretty much at the buzzer here for the weigh-ins, and he weighs in three pounds overweight. Now, he we've definitely seen fighters who have weighed three pounds overweight and look much worse than Manel Cap. Don't get me wrong. Manel Cap obviously didn't look the greatest on the scales, but I feel like it's not going to be one of those weight cuts where it's actually going to um, affect his performance. I the, All week I've been saying I feel like we're going to see a Manel Cap that we haven't seen before, in the fact, at least that we haven't seen before on the side of the UFC, right? In his risen days, he was known as that guy collecting scalps and knocking these people out, maybe getting a couple of submissions here and there as well. But, you know, we haven't really seen that in his last two fights. It seemed like the Pantoja fight, he was caught up in the bright lights and the cameras of being inside the UFC and he was kind of just trying to style on Pantoja. And then in the second fight, it seems like he tried a little bit harder. You know, it really came down to that third round, depending on how you want to score it. I felt Nicolau did enough in that third round to, to get that victory but still we still need to see a little bit more urgency for cap but now if you want to read it into a narrative sake you got manel cap with his back against the wall 
0-2 in the UFC. If he loses this fight, he's probably getting his pink slip. And now that he missed weight, his back is even more up against the wall, right? Like uh, UFC is just salivating at the mouth to cut a guy that's 0-3 and didn't take his weight cut seriously enough to in his last fight to go out there and actually make weight. I found it very interesting that he didn't make weight, man. I, I'm very stunned, especially considering the circumstances that he has here. So hopefully that was enough to really fire it up for him to go out there and try to get that, that scalp of O'Day and, and get a finish here which is, you know, on the propping you up show earlier that I did, uh, I, I listed cop inside the distance at plus 180 as one of my three best props on the card because I feel like we're going to see the cap that was touted before he came to the UFC. The guy that's going to go out there and actually get a W, force the action, look for that knockout. And I think that's what we're going to see here. The spot that I actually took advantage of the most here is the under two and a half. I got in at plus 120 because I think both guys have finishing capabilities, more so on the cap side. And I do think that he's eventually going to find that chin of Ode Osborne. I'm also a little bit skeptical about the cardio of Ode Osborne in this spot, right? He's only been to a decision twice. Um, he's one and one in those fights. No tape on those fights, at least that I wasn't able to find. So I'm not really sure what to make of him going into rounds three or at least later into round two and round three, considering he's just able to dispatch of guys relatively quickly or get finished early himself via submission. Uh, but I think that Cap is probably the best fighter he's fought to this point. If Cap can go out there and give us a, a career-type performance or close to a career-type performance, he should absolutely start O'Day Osborne in the spot. Last thing I'll say about it, pre-tape, I was leaning O'Day Osborne. I thought the line was a little bit wide, especially considering the form that we've been seeing from Cap as of late. But when you go back and watch some of his Risen fights and more of the recent ones, you're like, okay, there's a reason the UFC was high on this guy. There's a reason I believe he was the favorite against Pantoja. Like, there's a reason. And I think we're going to see that reason this weekend where he goes out there and uh, takes out O'Day Osborne. So, again, yeah, I like O'Day. Uh, sorry, I like uh, Cop. Cop by uh, KO. But I'd rather take that inside the distance just to be on the safe side. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I'm with you on cop. I also like Southpaw versus Southpaw matchups. Uh, Ode has a decent range advantage. You know, he's, he's a pretty rangy striker. You got to watch out for that left hand from the Southpaw stance. But being Southpaw versus Southpaw, I think it gets canceled out a bit. Um, I really feel like the pressure of Cape should break Ode Osborne here. Uh, but, I mean, I do worry. Like, seeing a guy miss on the scales by, you know, three pounds – when he's in a spot that if you miss weight and you lose, he's not going to fight in the UFC anymore. Like I'll, I'll almost say this is a guarantee. If he loses this fight, they might be letting him go. They might be sending him his papers. I think he's better than that. I think he should beat Ode Osborne. I don't think Osborne's a bad fighter by any means, but I don't think he's at the level of Cape. He hasn't fought near the competition. In Ryzen, this guy was the top of the food chain. He was top two, top three over there. And there's some savages there. I feel like Manal Cape is going to win this fight, but I don't think he performs as well as you said with the knockout. I think he wins a decision. That's that's what I'm thinking. I think it's a hard-fought, unanimous decision, Manal Cape over Ode Osborne. I like it as well. Uh, shout out to my guy, Billy Brizio, saying cop missing weight, thought it would be Osborne missing weight, considering uh, Osborne is going down to 125 pounds for the first time. He looked great on the scale, right? Did you see anything there that, yeah, that gave you cause for concern? He looked good, and I mean, Cape, he didn't look awful, but you missed yeah. weight by three pounds, so I can imagine if the full weight cut was there, he would have looked pretty drained. I think lack of dieting, maybe lack of plan, I don't know, like maybe Cape has to move up to 135, which I do think the success ceiling is a lot lower at 135 yeah. for Cape than 125. Like even like we saw Paiva now moving up to 35. I think he's good. And you know, he, he got a win over Kyler Phillips, but that competition level of 135 is, is scary. So 
Cape, make weight, stay at 125. Let's see if we can get him a run towards, you know, the top five. Let's hope he actually wins tomorrow because he might not actually yeah, have a job might. in the UFC yeah. if he ends up coming out the short end here. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Karolina Kovakovic making a return after a year and a half layoff, taking on Jessica Pena or, or Pene, who just came off of an extended layoff of her own. Now, pretty binary fight to break down here, right? Striker versus grappler. I'll actually let you kick this one off here. Who do you like between these 115ers? I don't, I don't like this fight. Like I, as far as betting wise, it's not something I'd advise. It's women's MMA, and it's also girls who long layoffs. You got one side a four fight losing streak. You got Penne coming off of a controversial win. I don't think she beat Gudinez in the last one. Uh, but you know, there's a slight size advantage for Penne, grappling advantage for sure. Carolina's striking has looked progressively worse, in my opinion. She's like really hittable down the center line. Her head just kind of like stands in an awkward position as she'll throw crosses. Like, I don't know. I, I think Kavokevich had a real big high, and that was when she fought Joanna and Jacek. She had a great fight, and that was the height of her career. And I think it's been downhill since then. I'll ride Jessica Penne by a decision in this fight. All right, all right. I'm actually going to be on the flip side here with Karolina Kavakovic. I do think we see a fired-up version of herself come back, especially after a four-fight losing streak. But then again, like the level of competition she's losing is, against is not the worst, right? You got the the Michelle Watersons, the Jessica Andrade. You got uh, um, I'm trying to remember the second last one that she got. She had Zhao, uh, Yan Zhaonan, obviously in her last fight, and Alexa Grasso as well. Very tough outs, right? It's not too you can't really you know stick your nose up to her too bad, uh, especially coming off of four losses to that level of competition. But I think that they match her up perfectly here against Jessica Penning because I believe it will be an absolute blowout on the feet. But if it does get into those grappling and those clinch exchanges, just as we saw in the Lupita Godinez fight, Jessica I could definitely make it a closer. Or sorry, Jessica Penne could definitely make it a closer fight if she's able to wrap up uh, Carolina, maybe ride her back or something like that. Try to get that control time. Look for that submission. I believe the submission prop on Penne is around plus four hundred, plus five hundred possible value there, especially if you like the Penne side here. But I do think that we'll see Carolina maintain that distance, get her striking going, do what Lupita Godinez was supposed to do, right? Strike and get out of it. Get out of the clinch position. Get out of those close quarter spots. Just get your strikes off and get out of there. And I think that's what we're going to see from Carolina. I am a little bit extra uh confident in this spot uh not to a, a huge extent but i like the fact that she's getting to work with Ioana, right they're both out there in poland they're meeting up with each other they're trying to get some good work in and i feel like that's the best level of uh training she could possibly get while she's on that side of the world uh and yeah i wouldn't even be surprised at a potential standing tko here from karolina kavakovic especially with the fire i expect her to come back with and especially not wanting to end her career off 0-4 I mean, maybe she hangs it up after this one just because she's able to get back into the win column. Regardless, I think she's going to come back with a, with a, a huge fire. And uh, I think she should go out there and outstrike Jessica Penne over 15 minutes. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Ed Herman going up against Alonzo Benefield. Minus 240 for Alonzo Benefield, plus 200 for Ed Herman. Um Ed Herman needed the box of shame once he stepped on the scale. Didn't look the greatest. Um, used to be a 185er, if I'm not mistaken. Now fighting at 205 uh, for his last couple of fights. Uh, again, weight cut's not getting easier for 40-year-old Ed Herman, who's actually also coming into his 40th professional MMA fight. Seems pretty, again, another binary spot where you can be like Alonzo Menafield early or Ed Herman late, but I don't think it's that simple as I just don't think that Ed Herman is has the chops to go out there and truly win rounds two and three definitively enough against Alonzo Menafield. 
We've seen Merrifield go three rounds against Devin Clark and his takedown defense held up pretty well even later in that fight, even after, you know, swinging and, and almost getting Devin Clark out of there in the first round. And even though he was slowing down, his takedown defense still looked good and he still looked like he could still compete for 15 minutes or for an extra 10 minutes or so, an extra five minutes if he needed, but not to the point where he's going to be able to knock out his opponent. I think that's all he'll need, even if this fight does escape round one. However, I do still think that we'll see uh, Alonzo Benefield find that chin in the first round. I think his explosiveness and the the slow movements of Ed Herman is just going to be too much for him. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a perfect concoction for Alonzo to go out there and get an early stoppage uh, or a quick stoppage, I should say. With that said, minus 240 on a guy that, you know, his win condition is mainly seven minutes. I'm good. I'll pass on that. Minus 135 for his knockout prop, not too bad. Uh, plus 165 for his round one prop as well, or plus 450 for round two, not too bad either. But I do like Alonzo Benefield. I think he takes out the Wiley veteran, Ed Herman, relatively quickly here. How do you feel about this matchup? You know, I think that Ed Herman is definitely on the downfall. You look at the last fight, mate. Mike Rodriguez beat him. He TKO'd him in the second round. Like that. What doesn't matter what Tyone's mistake was, there was clearly a TKO there because the strikes were legit. Um, you know, I feel like, especially up at 205, it looks a bit slower than what we saw from in the past. Uh, doesn't have the same timing with his punches. He's still a gritty veteran and he's durable. Um, striking wise, I would say Ed Herman has always been a decent enough striker, but I don't see elite level. I don't think he can hurt Menafield on the feet at all. I don't see him submitting Menfield. I think there's going to be a serious physical strength advantage alone for Menfield. He should run over Ed Herman. I'm leaning early second round knockout, but I could definitely see it in the first. Maybe you play a little sprinkle on first and a little bit on second as well to try to you know hedge yourself some money there. Um, but yeah, we're, we're both on Menfield and it shouldn't be all that competitive. You surprised that he has a three fight winning streak in 2021? <laughs> Dude, it blows my mind. I, I I literally am like, wow, Ed Herman has has somehow done it. But you look at the guys he's beating. The Rodriguez fight was illegitimate. Um, what, what did he beat? It was the Ibragimov, Ibragimov who and, turned uh, out to be a total wash prospect. I lost money on uh, Ibragimov when he made you know his early UFC fights. He just turned out to be not all that great, but still good win. Herman is winning fights, but he's not going to beat Alonzo Menfield and people. Definitely have been writing off Menfield for losses, but I, I mean, he, he's still a developing light heavyweight. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a hard division. He got knocked out badly against Ovin St. Pru, but St. Pru is a hard hitter. He's got a reach advantage, and he's known for awkwardly knocking people out. So I think Menfield's still got some, some prime to him. There's still a, a guy to watch in the weight class, but I don't know about top five, top 10, but top 15, top 20, he should beat a lot of these guys. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Probably like the obviously very close to the line. Draco Rodriguez, Vince Morales, pretty much a pick them at this fight. But I think probably one of the hardest fights to call on this card. I'm actually going to let you kick this one off for us. Who do you favor between uh, Morales and Rodriguez? Do you see an edge here at all? Okay. So MMA math is horseshit, but we have to bring up one thing. Zahabi quickly slept Draco. That is Vince Morales's UFC win. Doesn't matter. MMA math is not a factor, but I'm concerned about Draco's chin. I think it comes up a bit high and I think that maybe it isn't made out of granite. Now, Vince Morales isn't some crazy knockout artist. I'd say he's a pretty efficient kickboxer. His boxing inside is pretty decent. And I feel like he's going to catch Draco. I think second round KO for Vince Morales might be a stretch here, a real like Mystic Max style play. But I do see him catching him with a counter hook and knocking out Draco Rodriguez in the second round. Um, I'm not sold on Draco just yet. 
I like Draco. I think there's a lot of potential there, but I feel like Vince Morales has taken a couple losses and, and kind of been, you know, slept on by the people, but he's not a bad fighter. I mean, Chris Gutierrez will destroy a lot of the back end of that weight class's legs. And, you know, Draco being also a part of the back end. I, I think Vince Morales knockout second round. I like it as well. And Vince Morales could absolutely have two wins instead of one. I thought he won that Benito Lopez fight, to be honest. Uh, close fight there. Judges ended up going with him. But it seemed like media scoring and fan scoring was all in favor of Vince Morales. And for good reason. I thought he was doing good work with his hands compared to the kicks that were coming his way from Benito Lopez. But yeah, I share the same sentiments with you, except, like, again, it's weird that we're kind of picking the same sides here, but it seems like we're always picking a different method of victory. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to be going with Morales for a decision in this spot. I think we see him go out there and lean on the volume more so than the power just to kind of outwork Draco Rodriguez because he's definitely going to be have to or have to worry about the takedowns that are going to be coming his way from Draco. Draco, I feel his best path to victory is dragging this fight to the ground, getting some control time and potentially opening up a submission. But I do think that Morales should stuff enough takedowns. He will get taken down, I think. I believe that, that Draco will end at least one takedown in this spot. But I think we'll see Morales work his way back to his feet and then get the more damaging blows on the feet uh, with the strikes, mainly with his boxing. But yeah, I like, I like Morales in this spot. I will say it's the least confident spot on this card for myself i just can't find this find myself uh enough of an edge to take morales in the spot but i do think that his striking will be more superior than the potential striking coming back his way from draco and not to mention the the takedowns and the grappling attempts from the draco rodriguez side all right let's move on to the uh, prelim headliner you're running through this card i love that we're only at 25 minutes and we're already at the prelim headliner but Again, I got a flight to catch very soon, so I want to. I want to make sure that through, we get bro. through. We're it, flying through. Sure. Uh, I'm glad that we're actually hitting the main spots here, though, right? Like we're, we're hitting the main points for a lot of these fights, touching on the wins, which is a big emphasis on the show. Um, but yeah, so next up, we got the 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 prelim headliner. Like I said, Rafael Fazia versus Bobby Green. Both guys looked decent on the scale. Bobby Green looked a little bit more concerned, but he seemed to make the weight without much issue. But I think it was more so concerned considering the last time he was scheduled to fight against Jim Miller fainted backstage he couldn't even make it to the fight so um uh yeah uh that's the last thing that bobby green had on his uh, slate obviously before that he had that uh, loss to uh mr tiago moises highly debated you know what i mean a lot of people thought bobby green won that fight but again you can't be fighting like that as a minus 280 favorite or even betting on a fighter like that who fights that close to his level of competition. And then when he gets the judges' scorecards, you just can't be surprised no matter what the judges throw out there. Uh, here with Rafael Faziev, I think there's a hype tax on Faziev being close to that minus 300 range. You know, the guy's a great fighter, don't get me wrong, but, I see, but he still has a lot to prove out there. You know, that Moicano finish was great and all, but I would love to see that fight play out over 15 minutes, albeit Anato Moicano does have some durability issues that uh, Faziev was able to take advantage of beautiful three punch combination to put him down and eventually follow up with a couple of ground and pound shots before the referee pulled him off but the fight even before that the mark d casey fight was really big for him i believe he came in into to that fight as the underdog and uh he showed off a full mma game great striking obviously that's a that's a given given uh hafeo faziev's uh background but his takedown opportunity like like he was taking advantage of the takedown opportunities at the perfect times. His fight IQ seemed to be on point. He was striking enough to eventually open up the takedown, and he would take advantage of that. Uh, great fight IQ from him. Uh, originally known as the striking coach over there at Tiger Muay Thai, now he finds himself at Sanford MMA because it seems like Tiger Muay Thai is slowly starting to fall apart as they're losing coaches and fighters and stuff. And it seems like uh, Fiziev has truly located, relocated down to uh, Sanford MMA. Like I said, great work for him there. Um, 
with Bobby Green, I feel like his best way to win this fight, stay in Fiziev's face. Like, crowd him with punches. Crowd him with strikes. Crowd him with some takedown attempts or something. Just keep him on his back foot so that he can't really get his striking going, especially those kicks, because we know that's the, the center of Fiziev's game plan. But I feel like Bobby Green is just going to be eating shots on the way in the entire time. I think he's just going to have to deal with so much from Fiziev, and I wouldn't even be surprised to see a couple takedown attempts from Fiziev either to kind of just mix it up and try to really sway the judges into his favor. Uh, I like Fiziev here. Don't like the price tag. I'm kind of minimizing the amount of exposure that I have on him in terms of my uh, my parlays that I put together just for fun. Uh, so I don't want to lose too much in case Bobby Green does uh, pull off the victory here. But I do think that Bobby Green is live. Plus 245 is a great price tag on a guy who's always, more often than not, the heavy favorite in his fights. So, uh, yeah, uh, gun to my head. Value is on the Bobby Green side. But I do think that Fiziev still pulls it off. And I think he pulls it off via decision. You're going to give more credence to Bobby Green here or do you like the Fiziev side as well? You know, interestingly enough, we have the exact same prediction on this one. I'm thinking decision Fiziev. If he knocks out Bobby Green, that would be fantastic. Crazy. I mean, if you knock out Bobby Green, you might be destined for greatness because who in the UFC has done it? Dustin Poirier, who's one of the greatest lightweights we've ever seen. Um, I love the dynamic striking style. I love that Fiziev made the move to Sanford MMA because that place is literally just evolving fighters from good to title material i think that all of the attributes are there for physio to actually make like a pretty decent run at 55 this matchup here is a stern test though because bobby green is a slick striker he likes to keep his hands low which concerns me a bit because if Fiziev is able to get one of those check hook counters um or, or even catch him with an overhand could get into a little bit of trouble. I mean, Bobby Green has a damn good chin, but I feel Fiziev definitely has some power in the hands and he knows how to turn his shots. I think that we're looking at three rounds, though. I think Green will be in his face. I think Green will be looking to make it competitive. I think he will get maybe stunned a few times, but nothing extremely substantial. The more significant strikes, I think Fiziev might potentially clinch up. Grappling-wise, I do believe Bobby Green could be fairly competitive. I don't really see uh, Fiziev laying and praying him. You know, I just Yes, he's evolved into a, a well-rounded fighter, Without that elite level wrestling base, I don't think he's going to threaten Green too much with the takedowns, but he might shoot for a couple. I think decision victory, Fiziev could see a 30-27, but I actually wouldn't be shocked even with the 29-28 because, I mean, Bobby Green's always in your face. He's a longtime vet of the game. And I thought that he actually beat Tiago Moises. So if he would have won that fight, he might have been fighting Islam Makachev, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks back. But instead, you know, it went the way of Moises there. And now he's fighting Fiziev. I think Fiziev beats him. It's a hard fight. Uh, but I do think um, Bobby Green's live for sure. He's always live. Would you agree with me in the assessment that I feel like Bobby Green is a tougher opponent than Hanato Moicano in this specific mm -hmm. matchup? Do you yeah. agree? I, I think that Moicano, as you said, man, durability issues. You catch him with a powerful strike, especially because he's coming up from 145. So he had he got knocked out at 45 a couple times, coming up now to fight a, a more dynamic and powerful striker of Fiziev. Upper weight class is trouble for him. And let's be honest, Moicano is a true high-level jiu-jitsu practitioner. But he likes to strike, and that truly becomes his downfall because I think if he goes out with Fiziev and looks to get the fight to the ground, who knows how that fight would have went. But instead, he wanted to show his confidence striking, and then he ends up getting caught and knocked out. So, yeah, I think Green's a tougher test because of a more well-rounded game and the simple durability factor. 
I, I'm glad that you talked about uh, Moicano wanting to strike, right? Like, I, I love that even in his last fight against Jay Herbert, he addressed that. He goes, I fell too much in love with my striking. Jiu-Jitsu is my bread and butter. Let me get back to that. And then we saw it in the Jay, Jay Herbert fight where he was able to pull off a submission and just have a grappling onslaught there. So I would have loved to see how it played out if we saw Anato kind of... Uh, try to implement the grappling a little bit more against Fiziv. He tried unsuccessfully, but again, still his durability was just not able to hold up there. All right, let's move on to the main card. And I do want to take this time to remind you guys, hit that like, hit that subscribe, and check out my guy, AJ. I do have his Twitter account linked in the description below. So make sure you guys go check him out there. And then obviously his YouTube channel, which I'll get him to plug at the end of the show here so that you guys can go out there and check that out too. My man's putting out some great content that I'm sure you guys will enjoy. All right. Let's get to the main card here. Great fight to kick things off. You got Casey Kenny going up against Yadong Song or Song Yadong, however you want to say it. I'm just going to continue continuously go with Yadong. But uh, Kenny needed the box of shame to make weight, but it didn't look like he was truly affected by the weight cut. He looked like he was fine. He was flexing. He was happy. He was smiling. Um, but it didn't look like, you know, there's a fighter I'm trying to remember off the top of my head where they, they made it was actually. Um, uh, Draco Rodriguez, where he made the weight and he looked relieved and he's happy and he was just having a good time on the skills. Whereas Casey Kenny needed the box of shame, but again, he's like, I know I made it. Like I have no doubt about that I made this weight, um, but just needed the box of shame. And again, physically speaking, he seemed to be fine. So I don't think it will be anything that actually affects him inside the cage here. Yudong Song obviously looks great on the scales as well. Never really had issues with weight cutting or anything like that. And in terms of stylistically, how these guys match up. Uh, Song Yudong, an absolute bruiser, right? Like he wants to go out there and try to take your head off. He thrives in firefights and, and trading in the pocket with his opponent. But Kyler Phillips last time around played that fight perfectly. Played the Matador for at least two rounds and he seemed to slow down in that third round because keeping up that type of pace while trying to not get your head knocked into the fifth round uh, row by uh, Yudong Song is very tough to do. Uh, but luckily enough, he was able to at least scratch out those first two rounds and get that victory over Song Yudong. Here with um, Casey Kenny, a lot of people are giving him shit for getting a loss to or having a loss to Dominic Cruz in 2021. But man, Dominic Cruz can still go out there and put on some good performances. And a lot of people really sleep on his grappling and his takedowns, which really helped him in that fight, especially landing takedowns at opportune moments to really sway the judges in his favor. I still think that Casey Kenny is improving on a fight-to-fight -fight basis. His striking continues to look better every single time we see him. And we know his grappling game is already one of the best in the UFC, not to mention his scramble ability. The only guy that's probably going to outscramble this guy is Marab Devaz. Felix, who already has a win over him. And even Ray Borg early in his uh, first, uh, Casey Kenny's first UFC fight, he went up against him. But I still believe he's getting better and better. And the MMA lab is doing such a great job with his progression. I think he wins this fight pretty handily, to be honest. I think he, you know, he has some success with the striking. Hopefully stays away from the big bombs and power of, of Song. And then he should be able to land some takedowns to kind of just bail him out of bad moments. Or if he feels like he's losing the striking, I feel like he can lean on that. I know Song is a team alpha male guy and he's been training with them forever. But... You know, the kid's 23 years old and it feels like he's already left too much inside the cage that we're already seeing this guy to start to, to plateau. Like, we aren't really seeing many uh, different facets of his game developing at, at the rate that you would expect, it, especially at a, a solid uh, training camp over there at Team Alpha Male. Uh, again, very tough matchup here for him against Casey Kenny. Kind of surprised the line is where it is. Uh, I thought it would continue to get steamed a little bit more, maybe minus 150, minus 160 for Casey Kenny. Maybe it could still do that by fight time, but I do think that Casey Kenny is the right side here. Kenny by decision is the way that I'm going to be going. How do you feel about this matchup? Well, I think that song is still a developing prospect and and i'll say this at 23 
I'm not expecting leaps and bounds just yet, but I do think by the time he's 26 years of age, we are going to see a very well-versed fighter. And now he's taking on Casey Kenny, as you said. Striking-wise, Casey's actually looked really good. I mean, he gave Dominic Cruz a stern stern test. Um, Grappling-wise, the judo championships in the, the past, the man's an absolute savage on top. The one thing which makes me favor Yudong in this matchup is Casey Kenny is not your typical wrestling style. Cody Stammen gave a real difficult matchup uh, to Song, you know, threatening with that offensive wrestling. Casey Kenny, when he does look to grapple, it does, I, I feel you'd agree, tend to be more clinch based because of the judo background. He doesn't have the same level of speed on like a level change takedown that a division one wrestler would have um i think as far as striking song has some serious power the hooks are, are a factor and he does cut off the cage decently it's not by all means a must go out and play especially at this value as you said kenny should be a bigger favorite i will second that but i really feel as though you dong by a close decision i think he's gonna put on a decent performance might be Overhyping the uh, Asian prospect here, but but I'm feeling like uh, he might get the dub here over Casey Kenny. But it's not a fight that if it goes the other way, I'll have any bit of surprise. I'll say, you know, matchup wise, it's not easy. Maybe I'm expecting too much out of uh, Song Yudong. But I look back in the striking performance, even against Kyler Phillips, uh, you know, the dynamic style of Kyler was able to beat. Song Yudong, but I don't think Casey has that same level. And without threatening with that, like Division One or Division Two, you know, real typical wrestling style where they're shooting at the legs, they're chain wrestling. I think this could be favorable for Song Yudong, and he's also an athletic specimen. I like his lateral movement. I'll go Yudong Song. I I, I don't know Song Yudong Yudong Song. Depends what website you go <laughs> to. You got it up, man. It's all over the place. But we're going with Yudong, and, and I'll do him by decision. But Totally understand the other side. And uh, I think that is an intriguing matchup, to say the least. Yeah, one thing that I actually want to get, get your opinion on, because it's going to be a narrative in this next fight that we're going to break down as well, is a lot of people are like, watch out for the, those Texas judges. Watch out for those that judging. Judging is bad always. <laughs> like yeah. It doesn't it's, matter it's where the fucking world we are. As well. it, it's yeah. gotten progressively worse. And let's be honest, in Vegas, I don't want to be the crazy guy saying it. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you look, the dogs in close money plays, they tend to get the slight favorability when the judging goes one way. Is that a coincidence? Uh, yeah. Who am I to say? Who am but again, I to say? I, I'm not, I'm not going to lay off fights that are scheduled yeah. to go to a decision just because it's in Texas. Like I'm expecting just to get as much fucked in Nevada yeah. or Massachusetts or wherever the fuck New York as I would in Texas. It's just like some people, you know, th there were some bad decisions in Texas. Don't get me wrong, but there's right. just as bad decisions in other states. Yeah. And, and listen, our job is to predict who we see winning the fight not who controversially wins a bad decision you know we just who wins a fair fight so at the end of the day i think the judges are are what they are it's unfortunate i don't think they'll ever be perfect i don't know what strategy they could use to perfect it i know some people like one championship scoring but sometimes that can go the wrong way too because they can you know take all the the most damaging moment but that moment was just a small frame of the time and then there was control throughout and then they'll give it to the damage side i don't know judging is a weird thing man it, for it, sure. it's odd. Shout, shout out to my guy dxjc here saying texas judging gave at least four robberies on that jones reyes card which i believe was the mm -hmm. second last pay-per-view we had before uh the whole COVID thing hit so uh we i do believe we had we've had at least one fight in texas since then i believe it was the chandler and uh 
and uh, Oliveira card. So uh, I'm actually going to start off with this this next breakdown, and I'm going to go back to that Chandler Oliveira card to see if there are any robberies on there. But uh, I'll let you kick off this next breakdown that we're going to be doing, which is Angela Hill going up against Tisha Torres, a fight that is more than likely go to a decision. We have the fight goes to decision at minus 365, uh, over 2.5 at minus 410. So yeah, this is probably reaching the scorecards. But we got minus 140 on Tisha Torres, plus 120 on Angela Hill. Seems like steady money coming in on Tisha Torres. This fight week is progressing, but... Yeah, I'll give my take after I let you go. I'm going to actually look into the, that uh, that last Texas pay-per-view we had. Who do you like here between Tisha Torres and Angela Hill in a rematch of a fight that took place way back in June of 2015 where Tisha Torres was able to get the win with the, with the grapple-heavy approach? You know, I feel like Angela Hill has definitely improved tenfold since then. Um, and Tisha Torres had some down moments, losing streak, but as of late has turned it around. The one thing I'll mention is stylistic matchups. It just seems to me as Tisha Torres is kind of just a hard fight for Angela Hill. The crazy flurry she'll explode inside with, the very uh, strong clinch-heavy attack. I don't think physically Hill will have the strength to match that, though technically, kickboxing-wise, she's she's more superior than Tisha. But, you know, women's MMA too. Like, Tisha's an athletic specimen, I feel, for women's fighting. I mean, you look at her physique. Funny, at the press conference, that was yeah. a little bit of the back and forth. It was like, oh, the, the physique and she was doping this this and that i think tisha torres by a decision here i think she controls angela hill and uh ends up getting a second dub over her you know for angela's sake i would like to see her win the fight as a fan i would like to see angela win but we're not picking as fans here that's not my job i have to say who i think's gonna win the fight and i'm riding with uh tisha torres unanimous decision in terms of decisions from UFC 262, uh, an intriguing one here was Lando Venata versus Mike Grundy, where you have 30-27s either way, and then 29-28 for Lando Venata. Uh, the other ones were all unanimous, uh, a couple 30-27s and 29-28. So, yeah, maybe some weird judging in that Lando Venata-Mike Grundy fight. I can't remember off the top of my head how I scored that fight, but... Still, you get 30-27 on either side. That should give you a little bit pause for uh, cause for concern. But then again... No matter where the judging is, it's probably going to be like that. Uh, in terms of how I see this fight, I'm actually going to be on the opposite side of you. I think we're going to see some solid improvements from Angela Hill here. Uh, she was very, very green the first time they fought, right? Like she had no idea to what, what to do on the ground. She came in with a Muay Thai kickboxing background, and I felt as though that was, you know, that was her only way to win that fight at that time. Like that was them right coming off uh, the, the ultimate fighter. She only had maybe three or four professional fights at the time. Now she's... You know, been working her butt off over the last six years, trying to train, trying to get different looks, trying to get inside the cage, excuse me, and get uh, more experience. I feel like we're seeing an improvement in her ability to get back to her feet, stuff takedowns, and then just get her volume-based game going. But then again, Tisha Torres is such a little tank that it might be a little bit difficult for her to truly get away from that clinch control and that grappling control that Tisha Torres shows so well. But even as of late, Tisha Torres has been showing more so of a proficiency to go out there and strike with her opponents. And she's having some success at times but I highly doubt she's going to come into this fight with that same type of mentality. Maybe she'll try to strike a little bit just to eventually set up the takedown, but I do think that she's going to find some issues dealing with the volume and that pressure that Angela Hill is going to be putting on her. So I like Hill here. Again, this is probably going to go to the scorecards. Uh, maybe somebody gets fucked. Who knows? But pre-fight speaking, I feel I'm going to go with the volume and the, the damage that potentially will be coming from the Angela Hill side of things as long as she can really nullify the grapple-heavy approach that Tisha Torres will be bringing into this fight. Last thing I'll say, I feel as... Uh, I'm not saying you specifically, but I feel a lot of people are trying to are kind of siding on the Tisha Torres side once they see the shape that she's in. But I think they fail to realize that she always looks that fucking yes, good. Yes. Yeah, I mean, she's never looked bad. When does she right. ever look bad? 
I don't think ever. I think she truly has the one of the best physiques in women's MMA, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like her true. and Hannah Goldie are probably the most shredded women at those lower weight classes. I think like, Hannah Goldie takes the edge, though. I think Hannah's a little bit more jacked. Her back oh, she's definitely is more crazy. Jacked. Yeah, de de definitely more jacked. Like she, she's definitely more jacked, but definitely more room for speculation there. If you know yes. what I'm talking about. Tisha, Tisha, listen. I think Tisha has good genetics. I'm I not gonna go jump out there. I, I think that uh, sometimes, like, I, I mean, you know, obviously, if you follow like the Instagram. And stuff, you know, like I'm into bodybuilding and stuff, and people will jump on the oh, they're on steroids, this and that. But some people are just really genetically gifted, and Tisha Torres is one of them. She looks awesome, and if she wasn't doing any athleticism, she'd probably still be in fantastic shape. Yeah, I I'm right there with you. I absolutely agree. All right, let's move on to this next fight. We got uh, this is where I think really things really start to pick up on the main card here. We got Vicente Luque going up against Michael Chiesa. Chiesa always looking like death on the scales, but still goes out there and performs pretty well. So I think people are reading into it a little bit too much. I saw some chatter on the Twitter timeline saying that Chiesa doesn't look good on the scales. The guy's a big dude. He cuts a lot of weight. You expect him to have full cheeks and a smile on his face when he's trying to step onto the scale? No, that's not going to happen. We've seen him look like this in the past. How he ever made 155 is beyond me. I have that, no that idea. That blows my mind because he literally amazing. looks he looks like he'd be fighting at 185 at the rate that he's going because he looks exactly. huge. And honestly, I, I'm with you. He looks just as drained, though, at 170 as he did at 55. I mean, granted, he's definitely not as drained. Definitely a sign, though, he has put on some muscle, which I think is a big factor in grappling. So... I don't know, something, something to talk about in a, in a moment here. Exactly, yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I think that's going to play perfectly into his game plan, which is the grapple fuck tour. You know what I mean? That's what I'm calling it now. Like He's on a three-fight winning streak where he's just going out there and grapple fucking these dudes. And it, the tour continues on this weekend in Houston, Texas, where he goes out there and grapple fucks Vincente Luque en route to a decision victory. Now, Luque, obviously, solid BJJ specialist himself. However, I just don't think he's as effective off of his back as he should, needs to be to be uh, effective against a guy like Chiesa and the way that he's going to be looking to fight. When this fight is in the striking range, no doubt, Vicente Luque has the advantage. Uh, Kiesa almost looks lost at times on the striking, but it's more so just to eventually set up that takedown that he's eventually going to get. And it's very hard to start this, stop this guy's takedowns, right? And another aspect of this fight is that Luque hasn't really been fighting anybody that has that type of game plan. Like, the last wrestler that he fought was Tyron Woodley, but the, that Tyron Woodley is a Tyron Woodley we've never seen before. That was a Tyron Woodley that had his back against the wall, that really needed to go out there and make a statement, and he threw it all on the line. He had one takedown attempt, which was way too telegraphed in my opinion i'd be highly surprised if uh Kiesa goes out there and just takes that type of approach where it's just like i'm not even gonna try to hide these takedowns i'm gonna throw just throw them out there and i think luke could stuff those but at a certain point it's gonna start to wear on him i think that uh Kiesa will be able to drag him down over and over again so uh, it seems like the public loves him too the line is obviously closed i think Kiesa was around plus 130 early in the week now it's a pick him uh yeah i like Kiesa in the spot i think uh you know he was definitely in the running for one of my dog of the night plays uh, obviously he's now a pick him and could possibly go off as a favorite come fight time and it really hurts me to bet against a guy like luke because i really love luke's game and and style but stylistically speaking man it's a very tough fight for him so yeah i'm going um uh kiesa even though he didn't look good on the skills according to a lot of people uh and then luke obviously looked really good on the skills himself but i'm still going with the kiesa side i think he goes out there and continues this grapple uh grapple fucking tour how do you feel about this matchup 
Yeah, I, I'm pretty much with you there. Luke is fantastic striking, but I think people are getting too excited with his win over Woodley. Like that is a shot, Tyrone Woodley. I don't care what people are going to say. Um, I, I've talked about him boxing now and taking on, you know, Jake Paul. I think he's going to end up losing that as well. Like that Woodley is not near uh, what he once was. And as you said, telegraph takedowns, like what kind of game is that? That right there, the Woodley that fought Luke is a guy who was fighting not to lose. So he was just throwing it all out there trying and hoping for the knockout that's not what you're going to get from michael kiesa kiesa's in his prime he wants that title shot and realistically speaking if he's able to beat luke he aligns himself very nicely to potentially fight the winner of kobe covington um and kamaru uzman i mean he hasn't fought uh you know uzman yet i don't think he matches up great because uzman is you know kind of levels above you know everywhere but I still think that could be a potential fight. I think he's going to be grappling the hell out of Luke from start to finish. You're going to see this fight open up. Luke's going to throw some nice leg kicks. I think that Kiesa is going to keep the high guard. Maybe try to work his way inside with a jab. Clinch up somehow. He knows how to do it. He's done it to fighters before. Get the fight. Going against the cage. Takedowns from there control from the top position. I think Luke will find ways up, but it's just going to be constant. It's going to be constantly having to fend off the takedowns. I'm going to go uh, with Kiesa decision, grind style, as you said, the, the grapple fuck. And I think that that's uh, the performance for him here. And he's going to beat Vicente Luke and uh, I guess emerge as a legit top contender at 170. That that would be five in a row for him. That's an yeah. interesting run. And he dominated RDA on the ground. Yeah. That's a factor. Uh, people can say RDA will be small, he's old, whatever. Luke has never been known as that good of a grappler as a guy like RDA. So I, I think that Kiesa's... Good to go here. Win by decision. I think uh, Kiesa versus Burns after this would be a great matchup, especially given the backstory of uh, uh, you know Kiesa beating a training partner, a good friend of Gilbert Burns and Vicente Luque, if he is able to get his hand raised this week. And I do want to shout out my guy, Silver Highwayman. Carnalosi is also super jacked. I can't believe we forgot about her as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then my other guy here, uh, DXJC Singh. Nah, Hannah Goldie is 100% on steroids. She's just built like a refrigerator. <laughs> She, she, who knows? Who knows? Hey, listen, I'm not USADA. I'm not USADA. <laughs> exactly. We'll start the natty or not for the fighters, man. It's a new, <laughs> new series we're bringing up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That'll be fucking great. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Coming event time. Very excited about this matchup. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. And I'm actually going to let you kick this one off for us. We got Josie Aldo, uh, minus 115, going up against Pedro Munoz, minus 105. How do you feel like this match goes up, matchup goes up between two guys that are just days apart with their birthdays, right? They're only 34 years old, but for some reason, people make uh, Jose Aldo seem to be his fucking 38. They act like, like all that. 46, man. Like he's, he's <laughs> way out of his prime. Like everybody's thinking all those old man, all those younger than Dillashaw. I really am intrigued to see this fight because like there's so many things to like about both guys. The Pedro Munoz leg kick display that he put on Jimmy Rivera was terrifying. But what is Aldo known for doing best when he was in his prime? Destroying your legs. I don't think he's going to have near that amount of success with low kicks against Jose. Jose has a speed advantage laterally and striking wise. I think his punches are faster. He is the superior boxer. If you look at Pedro Munoz, he'll get too comfortable in the pocket, and he is there to be countered. Granted, hasn't been happening lately. He hasn't been caught 
by anything major. I think Aldo will make him pay in those exchanges, but I don't think he knocks him out. I think Munoz is a durable fighter. I think we're in for a back-and-forth striking fight that is going to deliver, I think, at the highest levels. like This is true high-level bantamweight action, the highest level you can get outside of you know maybe the top two, top three. I'm going to go Aldo, win by a decision, but there is definitely a path for victory for Pedro Munoz. It's a very competitive matchup, and may the best man win it. It's just a fight that I'm going to sit back and enjoy. I was hoping that we we're going to go a little bit more head to head on this one, but I am on the other side as well. Like yeah, I, I do yeah, like him yeah. and the spot, man. I think that as long as his durability holds up, which I think that narrative of him being crazy chinny is just a little bit overblown, right? A lot of his finishes are coming when he's in these five round fights, and we know that he deteriorates the longer fights goes. But he's still having competitive rounds against Piotr Jan. He's still having competitive rounds against Marlon Marais, right? Like these guys are. He's going out there and having very close fights still, and and having good fights. Um, stylistically speaking, Pedro Munoz, I don't think he's the greatest striker, but he has a great kicking game, right? That's how he was able to neutralize Jimmy Rivera, kind of slow him down, really get to his calves and really slow him down that way. I'd be surprised if Aldo succumbs to that as well. I think that Aldo will be a little bit more cognizant in terms of trying to check those calf kicks and hopefully just try to, you know, uh, um, prolong his his ability to move around and at least maintain his gas tank in this fight but i think uh on the feet he absolutely starts Pedro Munoz, not to the extent of knocking him out but has major success uh, combinations leg kicks whatever the fuck it is you know i think that aldo will have tremendous success Pedro Munoz, in my opinion is just more so like a like a I want to say poor man's version of Song Yudong striking in the sense that he's just a wild man. He's a bruiser where he mm. just wants to knock your head off, right? And I think this narrative of him being this crazy knockout puncher is just so overblown, especially since the Cody Garbrandt fight that, you know, everybody was betting their mortgage on him to go and knock out Frankie Edgar, and that did not transpire. So, uh, right. and then he had 25 minutes to do it, and he couldn't right. do it. So I thought that he could have got the nod over Frankie. I will yeah. give Pedro the benefit That's a different now. discussion, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, as far as striking, like I think that... Munoz has had some great performances and some good stylistic matchups. He fought crazy Cody Garbrandt, and, and I hate to say it, but Cody Garbrandt's a bit overrated, and I like Cody a lot. I think that there's things to like striking-wise, but recent years, who's his biggest win? It's Rafael Asuncao, who yeah. is on a serious downside now. I mean, obviously, he switched weight classes. I, I know you heard he's fighting Kai Kara France. Okay. I think that's a good matchup. I think at 125, Cody Garbrandt's actually going to have a lot of success. At 35, though, those guys are straight killers towards the top. I think Munoz will run into trouble with Aldo this weekend. And then my question is this. If Aldo wins, what are they leaning towards? Dillashaw, Aldo, super fight? How crazy Ooh. would that be? Or is it Rob Font versus Aldo? Because that's another logical option, potentially. Yeah, I feel bad for Rob Font. Like, he's kind of getting left out of these discussions, but he deserves it, right? Main event win over Cordy Garbrandt. Like, he yeah. definitely deserves to have a high-profile fight. But I think everybody would be salivating at the mouth to see uh, TJ Dillashaw against Josie Aldo. Uh, again, if it's a five-rounder, you know, it's, it's not as... Uh, interesting to me but uh, a three-rounder i feel like we, we would have been robbed of a fight that deserves to be a five-rounder regardless but uh yeah I, I think that he picks up the victory just as much as, as you do this week and i think he gets it done against pedro munoz here i think he wins via decision i think that line is run plus 160 plus 180 i think that's a solid spot he does start to fall off a little bit the later the fight goes but i don't think it's to the point where he's going to get his net head knocked off into the fifth round uh row uh come the third round here so yeah i do like and down a weight down away yes. class, I think his stamina has looked slightly improved. I mean, I know Jan got him, but Jan is a killer, and I think Jan is going to be getting that belt back 
fairly soon. That's an early prediction for the people watching. But I do want to ask you this while I got you, while we're on the subject, give me a quick early pick. Dillashaw, although no film study off the top of your head, let's say they fight, no, regardless of what happens this weekend. What do you think about that? Five rounds. Five rounds. I'm going Dillashaw. Like yeah. I, I can't, I can't yeah. back Aldo in five rounders anymore. I think that Dillashaw showed that he has decent durability. Obviously, he got dropped a couple of times by Corey, but he still kept chugging. He stayed in the fight, and I don't know if Aldo will be able to land those types of shots against him, uh, especially with the footwork and the, you know the way TJ fights. So yeah, I gotta lean TJ there. If if we could get anything better than maybe minus one fifty on TJ, I'd probably take a shot on him there because I think that's a solid spot for him. Would you share that sentiment? I think I have to, man. Yeah. If you can survive Corey Sanhagen's striking attack for five rounds, I think you can survive Aldo at 135 because Sanhagen is a damn psycho striker. I mean, that man's on a high level. Uh, even though that fight, people said, hey, you know, I thought maybe it could have went one way or the other. I, I understand control time is the number one factor. So obviously that's why Dillashaw won it. We got to get back to 265. Bro. I can go <laughs> off at a tangent all day long with you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That brings us to our main event. And again, another spot for me to remind you guys, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then go show my guy AJ some love as well too. His, uh, his Twitter handle is in the description below. So make sure you guys go check that out. And then obviously his YouTube channel, which he'll plug right on the flip side of this main event fight that we're going to break down for you guys so we got Derek lewis coming in at plus three plus 310 sorry minus 374 cyril gone that always seems to be the case here with Derek lewis we know skill wise he's probably one of the worst inside the ufc but he has that fight changing power that he's able to land time and time and time and time and time again, because this guy, I believe he holds a knockout record. If not, he's tied with Vitor Belfort. But the guy has absolutely massive power in his hands, fight-changing power. And he's able to always rely on that to find his way uh, to a win. Right? I mean, like the, the Alexander Volkov fight, I still have PTSD after all the money I lost on that fight, considering that Volkov was 13, 14 seconds away from winning that fucking fight. Uh, but... Uh, even the Curtis Blades fight, right? Curtis Blades was having a good uh, good amount of success on the feet, um, which is weird, right? You didn't expect Curtis Blades to have as much success on the feet as he did, but that just goes to show how low-level Derek Lewis truly is unless he catches what you that bomb. And he knew that Curtis Blades fight, that takedown was eventually coming, and he was just going to have to wait for it, and then he would capitalize on it. And luckily enough for him, Curtis Blades decides to shoot on the side, on his power side, and falls right into the power punch and the power uppercut of Derek Lewis. And Derek Lewis absolutely starches him there. But uh, yeah, that fight was, you know, it's pretty much like all Derek Lewis fights. 99% of the time he's losing, but then he eventually finds that one punch that's probably going to put you out. He does have two decision victories in this winning streak that he currently has, Blagoy Ivanov and Ilir Latifi. But those guys, skill-wise, are far far in a different uh, galaxy than what we're going to be getting here with Cyril Gunn. I believe that Cyril Gunn is the truth, man. I think this guy has all the skills to hold that title for a while. If the if and when they schedule him against Francis Ngannou, I'm taking the I'm taking the dog shot on Cyril Gunn. I think that he has the chops to go out there and mix it up against uh, Francis. But in terms of his matchup here with Lewis, I think he's going to put it on him from the get-go. Like, not to the point that he's going to put himself into danger, but I think we'll see him, you know, leg kick from distance, uh, hit him to the body, really work the body, and then really start opening up later in the fights. I think the the, the consensus here is, like, we know or we believe that Siragon is going to win this fight. It's how he's going to win this fight. That's how we're going to try to extract some value from this matchup. And personally, I think he gets it done inside the distance. I don't believe this narrative of, He's all of a sudden a 25-minute decision fighter because he beat Jersey New Rosa Strike and Alexander Volkov. But those guys, in my opinion, are more dangerous for more seconds and more minutes than Derek Lewis. 
compared to Derek Lewis just having those blitzes and then having those lulls in between those blitzes. That's where I think that Saragon will have the most amount of success where he'll be able to, you know, really start ripping the body even more. Because we know when Derek Lewis has those blitz attacks, he puts everything into it, right? He throws everything into those shots. And then if he doesn't knock you out, he's huffing and puffing, trying to regain energy again to try to go out there and try to knock your head into the fifth row again. But, you know, more often more than not, obviously, it's been working for him. He's always finding himself in these top contender spots. But now he's fighting one of the best fighters that he's ever fought, period, in my opinion, with Cyril Gaon here. I think Gaon would stay consistent. I think he'll stay disciplined. I think he'll mix in a couple of takedowns if he needs to. But I think ultimately he gets him out of there in the third round. I think that he wears that, that early uh, onslaught from Derek Lewis. He evades the blitz attacks from him later. And then by that time, Derek Lewis is going to be huffing and puffing, hands on his knees, bent over. And we're going to see Saragon start to unload and showcase why he's probably one of the best, if not the best heavyweight fighter in the world. So I like Saragon here, like him inside the distance. And the spot that I like the most, I'll let you guys know my lock of the night play, the under four and a half. I got it at minus 180. Covers a potential Derek Lewis knockout if that's what ends up happening, but also covers. Um, uh, the zero gone knockout, which I ex expect to happen. Knockout or submission inside the distance at plus 105, I think is a tremendous value as well, considering that you're backing a fighter that's minus 370 on the money line here. So yeah, I like zero gone. You going to give some more credence here to Derek Lewis, or do you feel like it's going the same way? I got to give Derek Lewis a little more credit. I know you said he's, he's not even that great. I think Derek Lewis is a special fighter as technically he isn't extremely sound, but because of that, fighters now put themselves in harm's way because they're thinking that they're beating Derek Lewis and on the path to victory. And then, as you said, he catches you with one big dynamite shot and just ends your life. Um, I would say Derek Lewis is a very low volume, but high power striker, one touch. And it is essentially the touch of death. Uh, you know, the only guy that maybe competes with like Nganu towards true knockout power uh, would be Derek Lewis, maybe even superior than Francis Nganu, you know, just maybe less volume. And he does have a harder time landing punches. Now, you look at Derek Lewis, he has a serious deficiency in his blocking ability. And Cyril Gan is a volume striker, light footed, constantly moving in and out of range. I mean, the guy moves like a middleweight. Can Derek Lewis hit him? I don't want to make this comparison to like Ali versus, you know, George Foreman, uh, you know, because there's obviously serious level differences and it's a whole different sport, but it is essentially the power punching monster in Derek Lewis versus maybe the most talented technical heavyweight that has ever existed in the history of mixed martial arts. I think Cyril Gan is a special fighter. Now, that being said, Derek Lewis could definitely touch the chin and put him to sleep. He can do it to anyone. But I think the Cyril Gon train moves here, and I think he will be fighting for that world title. Cyril Gon fourth round knockout. He's going to stop a tired Derek Lewis. I think the gas tank of Derek Lewis is something that we have to talk about. He gasses. He gets tired. You look, he's been stopped in the fourth round. That was, I believe, against Mark Hunt. Yep. He's not a guy known for going five rounds, whereas Gon can go all day. You're going to see Gon keeping him away from him. And Trust me, in the clinch, Cyril Gan can have his way as well. Because you know what? Derek Lewis tends to stop some of the wrestlers, like a Curtis Blades with a traditional attack. Cyril Gan is going to do more like the trip style takedowns. Now, do I think he has a ton of success from top position on Derek Lewis? Not really. Derek Lewis is just extremely heavy. He's a huge guy. I'll go Gan for the victory, knockout. But 
as a fan, as a guy that, you know, loves, you know, my balls is high, you know, like, I think, like, did you see, did you see what he said? Excuse my French, but fuck him, yeah. man, fuck you. Like, that type of shit is legendary moments. So, like, for the sport, if Derek Lewis were to capture a belt, even interim title, I think that's amazing. He is, like, a star, and I think he has superstar potential. But Cyril Gaon, as a fighter is special beyond special i feel so i'll go gone with you and we're, we're both rocking them within inside the distance man someone said to me in my comments dude you lost major credibility picking gone by a finish but i'm like man i what? think you're misunderstanding <laughs> the fight that's happening here you know like Derek lewis is not a guy that goes the distance it's not a guy that yeah. can last late Granted, we, we laugh at the comments. It's just funny to bring up. For sure. And then when I heard you pick the same thing, I'm like, hey, I guess we lost credibility on the streets to some of these guys. <laughs> Dude, see, the, the thing is, like, we as handicappers and uh, predictors and, and analysts and stuff, we have to take advantage of these moments where the public perception is one thing and then beat the line on other things. So just two quick examples. Obviously, this this weekend, gone inside the distance, plus 105. I think it should be a little bit, you know, uh, the line should be worse just because, you know, I think that's going to be the most likely outcome here. But the public perception is his last two fights went to a decision. Automatically, this next fight's going to go to decision. Right. But, like, public perception, two two, two other spots. Uh, Sajar Eubanks inside the distance last time against, uh, what's her name, Elise Reed. A lot of people are like, oh, she doesn't even have a finish in the last 10 years. What makes you think that she's going to get a finish this weekend? Watch the tape. You'll see why. And that's exactly what happened. And another one last week in my lock of the night play, Cheyenne buys. Everybody's like, oh, I don't want to touch this woman. She got headlocked for 15 minutes. If she can't get out of the house, she's going to want to fight. Like, albeit, I wanted to see this fight with uh, with DePaula play out a little bit more so we could see how it plays out. But, like, you can't just automatically write off a fighter just because of public perception. And, you know, they, they're saying, oh, Bays is a horrible fighter now, blah, blah, blah. But, like, stylistically speaking, I thought she had the, the biggest advantage in that fight against DePaula, and she was able to showcase it. But, man, like, this is the spots. Like, I hope God truly hits inside the distance this weekend because it will definitely, like, remind people. Like, it's just, you can't just go with the what... The, you have to read trends and then look into it a little bit deeper, though. And I a feel lot of by people, looking what have it. you seen lately? It's the recency yes. bias. Oh, he's just won a decision. He beat Alexander Volkov in a technical five-round fight. Do you remember what happened between Volkov and Derek Lewis? Yeah, yeah, sure. Derek Lewis won at the end. <laughs> Derek Lewis got destroyed for 14 minutes and 50 seconds in that fight. And that's a serious factor for me. You look at the win over Rosenstreich. Yeah, sure. He got blitzed in 20 seconds. And Dana White can talk and say, oh, look what you know Nganu did to him. Yeah, well, Nganu looked like he was maybe having a bit more technical trouble for you know the five seconds that we saw of it. Whereas Gan had no difficulty picking him apart. I actually think Gan is more impressive beating fighters by decision than just getting quick KOs because now you're showing you are actually the superior fighter everywhere. You're not just a harder puncher. And I think he's going to put it on Derek Lewis and stop him. I think fourth round, I think a lot of people um, are thinking Gan is only a decision guy. I think what he's going to prove a lot lately? of people wrong. That's it. That's right. it. What have you done lately? The recency last, bias. Last two examples this past weekend. Hafa Garcia, supposed to knock out Chris Kritzmacher, who just got knocked the fuck out the fight before that. Jason Witt, supposed to get knocked the fuck out by Brian Barberina. It doesn't work like that. We got to look a little bit deeper than just that. All right, so I'm glad that we're both on gone and gone inside the distance. Uh, that'll bring us to our the, the last segment of the show that I like to do here. Lock of the night plays. I'll start off. Like, what do you think your most confident play is 
nothing worse than minus 250. Personally, I'm going with the under four and a half in the main event here. I like uh, under four and a half at minus 180. I think Gan gets the finish, but it also covers a potential Lewis Hail Mary comeback KO, which he can obviously pull off. So I, I want to have too much exposure on Gan in terms of making him a parlay piece because, again, there is obviously that, uh, that threat. But I would rather parlay the under four and a half because I feel like that's a little bit more... Um, has a little bit better chance of hitting, to be honest. Uh, what, what's your most confident play here? Well, we'll go the safest play on the card is probably Hill and uh, Tisha to go the distance. <laughs> minus 400, dog. <laughs> Come on, give me something better than that. <laughs> Truly, though, I, I like uh, gone inside the distance or gone KO, TKO. And I think that just for safety reasons, maybe you sprinkle a tiny, tiny bit on Derek Lewis by knockout because that's always a factor. But Gon is going to have a showcase fight, and I truly believe he's going to win. And if I'm wrong on that one, I won't even be disappointed, though, because as a fan, as I said, I like Derek Lewis. But right. just as an analyst, there's no way you can really pick Derek Lewis on paper. Even in my mind, I'm seeing the fight. I'm seeing him get picked apart throughout the entire thing. So I'll go Gon, K-O-T-K-O. I like him the fourth round. I like it as well. And it's definitely going to be bittersweet if Derek Lewis does let him get that knockout because you want to see a guy like that hold the title. And last thing I'll say about this matchup, uh, I, so I'm going out to visit my in-laws this weekend and I'm going to be watching the fights with them to, to, uh, uh, tomorrow night. Uh, my father-in-law is a martial arts fan. He loved Bruce Lee growing up and all that shit. Like he's that type of guy. So I, I can't wait to see his reaction to this fight, seeing a guy so technically sound like Cyril Gon go up against a knockout king yeah. like uh, Derek Lewis and seeing how potentially sloppy it could be as well i just can't wait to see his reaction does he watch fight. fights often as he not often at all no no okay. not often like it's he used to watch gsp every now and then so okay. he's still not like the most caught up in the mma world but uh yeah he's like yeah i'm totally down to watch the fights with you i'm like oh this will be a good card and then i just remember this whole like narrative of the main event of you know the most skilled heavyweight against the least skilled heavyweight That's but great. it has absolutely crazy knockout power it's, it would be amazing to see gone put on a perfect performance for like four and a half rounds and then gone just or uh derek was just dead just <laughs> touch of death good night and then we're just we're just looking hey it is what it is you know it's a fight game <laughs> i will say i love watching fights with people that aren't like consistent fans just to like get their thoughts like oh what what is this like in everybody that i ever introduced to the sport they're like oh this is so cool this is awesome in my mind i'm like i don't know how people aren't watching mma on the regular basis like i don't know how mma hasn't emerged as the pure number one sport because i'm be honest like i try to tune into other sports it's hard for me yeah fighting is the one that always i mean every time there's if you watch a card i've never seen a card that had only bad fights on it man yeah so the, the fight game is where it's at bro it's just a matter of time dude like look at the look at the longevity so far right like it's only been what 20 to 25 years that the ufc has truly been around actually 28 years i believe they've been around uh, compared to basketball football hockey would have been around closer to 100 year now, years now it's right crazy. so Let's just wait to see what happens. In Dude, the next we're we're gonna go years. down as historians, bro. For right? Years from now, they're gonna say our names. <laughs> we're the pioneers. <laughs> we are, years. bro. We are. <laughs> uh, all right. On the last thing here, uh, I just want to shout out Uncle Weezy here saying DFS pointed out on my live stream last night that the main event ends in KO is minus one thirty on FanDuel. I think that's a great solid bet there as well. But I do like the under uh, four and a half at minus one eighty. I don't mind eating that chalk. All right. Um, I will, uh, AJ. I'm gonna give you the the platform here to just plug anything that you want to plug. Let the fans know where they can find you. All right, fellas. So check me out on my YouTube channel. It's MMA Experts. I am pretty much live every day of the week. We do fight predictions for UFC, Bellator, and PFL, occasional LFA action as well. But depending on how many cards we cover during the week, 
live fight companions on fight night. So if you're interested in alternate commentary, you're getting sick of hearing the plain old UFC commentators, come listen to me. I chatted up about all the fights all card long. I'll be live tomorrow for UFC 265. So yeah, check out the channel. Make sure to subscribe, like the latest video. You can check them all out. I got my full card predictions up. going to have a weigh-in recap that I'm doing for my channel myself in the next couple of hours as well. So make sure to tune into that. And my Twitter, man, Locke, you got to help me out on Twitter, bro. I don't know. I don't know a thing How the fuck about you only 150 followers. I don't man. know, dude. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have like a massive Twitter, bro. It's just my, my Twitter right now is, is non-existent. I'm looking at your, your Twitter. I'm like, dude, Locke's got thousands. I'm like, how do I get into this? Like, how, how do you, how, how do you develop it, man? This is it's, Twitter's it's new for me. I'm dude. I, I've time. been around since 2017, just trying to grind away at it. So yeah, it's definitely been picking up more so in the last year or so, but it takes a while. So let's go help out my guy, AJ, go, go check on over. Like I said, his uh, link to his uh, Twitter is in the description below. So make sure you guys click that, give him a follow as you guys obviously saw over the last hour very sharp dude and very much on that content grind as well so make sure you guys go check out his channel as well and check out that way and show that he's going to do and then the fight companion tomorrow as well very much looking forward uh about that all right uh on behalf of myself and aj appreciate you guys checking out the show i know it's a little bit earlier than usual but your boy's got a fight to catch in a couple hours so i'm gonna get the fuck up on out of here uh good luck on your bets tomorrow and uh yeah let's try to make some money hopefully cyril gun can go out there and get the shit done easy and quickly so i don't have to sweat out this under four and a half bet for too long <laughs> see you guys and good luck tomorrow